Cherry on Top is written, produced, and hosted by Matt Rebar. Chapter 14. Cousin Denise did confirm that she heard Marcus and Rio having loud sex, although she seemed a bit hesitant to say so in front of Cherry. I don't get it. No one cares that Marcus and Rio are banging, yet it's made to be this big secret. Cherry rolled her eyes. My parents know I'm a bit of a flirt, yet they still love me. I think Marcus is worried about how Sir Charles will take it. Cousin Denise best guessed. I'm sure Marcus has taken some harder things before. Cherry joked, but Denise looked stone-cold serious. Probably Denise was worried about confiding in Cherry regarding Marcus and his shoot. Cherry moved on, scouting for Charles Jr. before finding him on the tennis court sidelines. What is it? Charles Jr. asked with a bit of sass. Come back for some more? No, you weren't that good for seconds, Cherry said honestly. Some guys are like a Vegas buffet where you come back for more, but others are like you, a drive through for a quick option that might leave you bloated. Charles Jr.'s confidence slid off his face quicker than you could say, bad lay. Cherry ventured her boat of questions forward, even after poisoning the waters beneath her. I have to ask, even though you were with me last night, you're not trying to kill Sir Charles, right? Of course not, Charles Jr. gasped. What's your problem? You're, like, obsessed with me. I am not obsessed with you. Are you one of those women who can't let it go after you've had sex with a guy? Cherry audibly gasped at that line. A few things, mister. I could give two shits about your average dick, Cherry snapped. And it's not even average. It's a bit below average. And if there's anyone with authority, it's me. Second of all, let's get something straight. Sure, I slept with you. I was curious. But I don't want to sleep with you again. Once was more than enough. Kind of like going to DMV. And the whole, oh, is this chick psycho line? Hmm, sorry, nasty boy. It won't work on me. I would never develop feelings for some douchebag loser like you. I mean, maybe if the sex was good, but I've had better sex from using a hard taco as a vibrator. And let's not forget that you lied about being in an open relationship. So don't act so high and mighty when you're like that Templeton rat from Charlotte's Web. You can take your smorgasbord of lies and shove them up your stinky asshole. You best believe I didn't put a finger up there because you looked like you hadn't cleaned yourself in a month. Oh, and let's add that you're a rich slob snob that thinks he's untouchable. You're right. No one wants to touch you. Cherry's absolute slaughter of a rant was over, and she stood with crossed brows and a smug smile. Charles Jr. paused for a second before his face started shaking uncontrollably. Cherry was confused, unsure what was happening, until Charles Jr. started to sob right there on the sides of the tennis court. A couple people swiveled their heads, having missed Cherry's verbal castration, but Charles Jr. quickly made his way into the mansion with Cherry on his heels. Come back here! Cherry hissed. You're making a scene, and normally I'm the one making a scene. You were so mean, Charles Jr. said between loud sobs. I can't believe you called me all those names and said all those terrible things about me. Where's Samantha? As if arriving on cue, Samantha Worthington rushed down a staircase and immediately pulled her husband into an embrace. Her husband, one of those men who couldn't accept criticism, crumpled into her like a piece of thin paper in a fist. Sweetheart, what's wrong? Samantha asked in a voice more fake than two plastic tits. Samantha didn't love Charles Jr. She loved the money. No doubt she was hoping for a couple new wardrobe pieces out of comforting her emotionally fragile husband. Viv made fun of me. Oh no, I'm so sorry. 
While hugging her husband, Samantha rolled her eyes so that only Cherry could see. Why don't you go to the living room and watch some true TV? Samantha said in her sugary voice. Okay. Like a wounded animal, Charles Jr. slowly made his way to the living room. Once he was gone, Samantha cracked a smile. Damn, you'll have to let me know what you said, Cherry. He was acting like a douchebag, Cherry muttered, before turning on her feet and returning to the bedroom shared with Emily, Claire, and Hayes. All of them had struck out like a baseball team's third string on the field. We're spinning our wheels like we're hillbillies in the Walmart parking lot, Claire spat, turning to their whiteboard. What are we missing? I don't know, Cherry sighed. What should we do now? I have no clue, Claire turned to the group. We have an hour till dinner, so we should figure out some kind of strategy. They eyed the board and their notes. This seemed like the fifth time they were considering strategy. The next one to speak was Emily. Did we get any information from Georgina and Fiona, the middle two ex-wives? Emily asked the room. I did talk to Georgina. She seemed fine, but I wouldn't mind a second crack at her. And the background we got on Georgina indicated that she wasn't in any financial trouble. So if we're looking for a personal reason, maybe we should re-examine Georgina. I talked to Fiona briefly, and I got the same impression, Hayes asked. Financially, no motive, but perhaps a personal reason. Do you think we need to relook at them? I think so. Emily doubled down. If we think the siblings are out, and that Lindsay and Cynthia probably aren't the killer, and if we think Cousin Shirley and Ricky didn't do it, our only suspects left are Georgina and Fiona. Fine, then we're going to have to grill them at dinner. Claire looked around the room. Who wants who? I'll take Georgina, Cherry muttered. I can do Fiona, Hayes asked. Emily, be back up to Cherry, and I can be back up to Hayes. Claire turned back to her board. Someone wants Sir Charles dead, and we have to figure out who. Chapter 15 Normally on Saturday night, Cherry would go out with a man to get some free steak. But thankfully, Cherry's undercover mission at Sir Charles came with automatic luxury foods. There would be no need to pretend to enjoy a date's boring conversation. Dinner was once again a cocktail hour sort of affair, which meant that everyone could easily move between each other while sampling an array of snacks. It was pretty easy for Cherry and Emily to approach Georgina and Fiona because the two ex-wives were standing together at their own small cocktail table. They were huddled, which under normal circumstances would look cozy, but under the current line of suspicion, their close-knit status was a red flag. Mind if I join you ladies? Cherry asked, shoving her plate of shellfish and her glass of expensive Moscato onto the table. Emily, meanwhile, had chosen the fanciest red wine over at the bar. Well, we were having a private conversation, Georgina trailed off, because Cherry had set herself up at the table. It was too late, and the ex-wives would have to deal with it. How was your Saturday? Emily asked, even though it was apparent to the entire table that Emily didn't care about the status of their Saturday. Georgina and Fiona could have met the reanimated corpses of Elvis and Jesus, or almost been killed in a car by a plane crash, and Emily's reaction would have been of simple acceptance. It was fine, Fiona said with a shrug. There was more ice in the air around the four ladies than ice keeping the expensive wine, beer, and liquor chilled. Cherry eyed both ex-wives, trying to see if there was a weakness she could explore. Georgina looked to be about 45 or so, while Fiona was a decade younger. They both had blonde hair, as did the other two women of Sir Charles's life. Not only were all women involved with Sir Charles blonde, but they gave off a similar wave of bourgeois. I'm sorry, I, I don't know you, Georgina said, shaking her head the way one would if they were in a tizzy. Had Georgina had a choice, she wouldn't want to try and get to know the two impeding family members. 
I'm Vev, Cherry said, extending a hand which Georgina touched gently as if Cherry's hand was covered in virus strains. I'm a wannabe actor and model from L.A., although I tend to do a lot of bartending instead. I'm Leanne. Emily did not offer location, employment status, a slight joke, nor the handshake. And you're both from Sir Charles' family? Fiona asked. Yes, we are, Jerry nodded. It's so nice to be out here in Cleveland. Technically, we're in Hudson, Fiona said calmly, in the same manner that one would correct fish eggs and replace it with caviar. I see. Do you live nearby? I do. Fiona was keeping the conversation more minimal than Cherry at a Vegas club, when you could barely hear people and would rather focus on the cocaine and the vodka. I'm sorry, ladies, but could you excuse us? Georgina asked, with words that might have been polite, but a tone that was anything but. Fiona and I were just having a conversation, one that's just between us. Is it regarding how you're trying to kill Sir Charles? Cherry asked, switching not just a couple gears in conversation, but the whole gear factory. Georgina audibly gasped. Fiona spit up some of the drinks she was savoring, and even Emily, the emotionless stoic, couldn't help but expand her eyes to the roundness of tea candles. Excuse me? Georgina's voice was hoarse, as if she had been screaming at a protest all afternoon. How could you accuse us of such a thing? I think the two of you have clear motive, Jerry continued. After all, why do you care about Sir Charles? Why would you be here at this family reunion unless you had something nefarious going on? You have no evidence, I bet. Fiona shook her head. You're just accusing us because you're a trollop with a giant mouth for gossip and for boys, you dirty slut. Wow, name-calling, are we? Cherry asked. Well, you are a dirty slut, so they're not calling as they are describing you, but hey, live your life. Emily chimed into the background, but Cherry was now honing in on the two ex-wives. Out of everyone here, you're the only two people who I can see doing this crime. Georgina thought for a moment before really going on the defensive. You know, I don't love Sir Charles the way I used to, but I still love the man, Georgina explained. So if you think you can come in here and uh, accuse me of foul play, you have another thing coming. If you have evidence, show me. But if you're just here to point fingers, then put your fingers down before I break them off. You're right. Looking at that upper lip hair you have, you probably could break off my fingers, Cherry commented, sipping more of her Moscato to compliment her spilled tea. Georgina grabbed her glass of liquor and tossed it right in Cherry's face. The whole room seemed to turn in their direction with that one action. Cherry stood there, soaking wet, her whole dress practically see-through, revealing her busty goodies and a thong that was holding on for its dear life. What the hell? Cherry squealed, her face blush with slight embarrassment. Relax, Cherry, I'm sure this isn't your first time at a wet dress competition, Emily said, but that might have made things worse. Cherry grabbed her Moscato and flung both the drink and the cup at Georgina. Georgina was able to block the glass, but not the expensive wine. Fiona threw her drink at Cherry, but her aim missed and she ended up spilling her wine on the carpet. Thankfully, it was white wine. Red wine on the carpet might do something the real perpetrator could not, kill Sir Charles. Cherry turned to Emily to grab her drink, but Emily clutched at her glass of wine like it was a newborn child. Ladies, stop this, Charles Jr. cried out, joining the fray. He had apparently recovered since Cherry had lanced him, perhaps by the saving grace of true TV. Georgina was now flinging shellfish at Cherry, who retaliated with her own seafood. Both ladies were covered in lobster, oysters, and scallops, collectively smelling like half of coastal New England. Charles Jr. grabbed Cherry while another male cousin pulled Georgina back before anything else could be thrown. That harlot accused me of trying to kill Sir Charles, 
Georgina spat. The whole room took a collective gasp. Did you do it in the living room with a heavy object? Marcus laughed at his clue reference, as did Rio and the other catty gays of the family. The straights were still shook and did not react to the clue reference. Is that true? Charles Jr. said, letting go of Cherry after tapping her ass real quick. Cherry scoffed and gave Charles Jr. a look of death before pushing herself away from him. It's a possibility, Cherry said, tossing her hands up to the room. Claire and Hayes watched on in sheer confusion and worry while Emily continued to sip her wine. Let's all be real for a minute. Someone in this room tried to kill Sir Charles. The room was deathly quiet with the exception of Sir Charles himself. She's right, Sir Charles barked up. One of you is after my money. More gasps rose into the air. A few people looked surprised, a few people looked almost overcome with emotion, while others, such as Emily, continued sipping a wine and eating fancy foods without a shift in emotion or attitude. Dad, that doesn't make sense, Charles Jr. sighed, finally able to confront his father's supposed crackpot theories. Your will gives everyone in here money, and no one in here needs money either. I get that, Sir Charles yelled back, which caused Charles Jr. to visibly flinch and lose gangster points. So they just want me dead. It's not about the money. Who would want you dead, though? Charles Jr. asked, looking around the room. It's not Samantha and I. It's not my roommate Rio or I, Marcus chipped in. Although the room knew that the two would rather be banging than using something to bang in, Sir Charles had. Cousin Ricky and Cousin Shirley piped in with a few of the other cousins. Of course, everyone denied the accusations, and almost all of them were innocent. But someone was guilty. I assure you, don't listen to this adulterer, second wife Georgina spat with anger towards Cherry, but with assurance from Sir Charles. Cherry accuses me with no evidence or proof. She's just a stain on this family. She's not part of this family, Sir Charles explained. She's one of the four people in the crowd who I hire to do private investigating. The entire family gasped the loudest yet. In fact, a few members of the family reunion seemed to steady themselves from falling over. All the eyes were on Cherry, studying her not as a model or an actress from L.A., but as the new private investigator. A few people gave Cherry a bewildered look, as though she wasn't competent enough to be an investigator. Sir Charles soaked in the dramatics like a drama club teacher before continuing. And with everyone present, and with their help, we're going to solve this murder scheme right here, right now. Chapter 16 The whole room was in chaos as everyone began to question each other. Accusations went flying, as did a few more glasses of wine. To try and contain the room, Claire let out a large whistle, which managed to get the show back on track. Everyone turned to Claire, who now stood in the middle of the room, as if the ringleader to the circus. Someone in here tried to kill Sir Charles last night. They also tried to kill him a month ago to have him slip on wax stairs. Two weeks ago, they tried to make Sir Charles slip in the tub— and earlier this week, the same person tried to kill Sir Charles by having him choke on dry pastry. With all that information available, we should be able to point to someone in the room. It couldn't have been me, Cousin Shirley chirped up. Two weeks ago, I was on a trip to Chicago. It couldn't have been me last night because I was still at the pool when Sir Charles got his head bashed in, Cousin Ricky cried out. More and more family members added their alibis and various reasons for not being able to be the attempted killer. Cherry took track of notes while both Emily and Hayes tried to look uninvolved. Well, going by all this information, it looks like everyone has an alibi, Claire said, eyeing the room with distrust. We have this whole conversation recorded, and if we find out that any of you are lying, we will know about it. Let me say something, Sir Charles barked, moving forward to step into the limelight. 
If we find out who tried to kill me tonight, I won't sick the cops on you. How about that? We'll just keep this as a family matter. The promise of not going to court or trial seemed like a good deal, but nobody in this room seemed dumb enough to sell themselves out. Instead, this would be like Cherry going out to a club. She would have to snare the person of the night. What if nobody in the room did it? A cousin named James called out. Maybe these were accidents. I may be old and I may fall down all the time. I may have accidents and this year alone I've probably almost died six times because of myself. Sir Charles' dramatic monologue was enough to inspire every amateur actor in the town of Hudson. But I know the difference between when I mess up and when someone is out to get me. So right now, anyone else who writes me off as some senile old bag, I'll have you kicked out of here. But not until we prove your innocence or your guilt. There was silence at that, and Sir Charles turned back to Claire. All right, Miss St. Montgomery, please continue. Since everyone is claiming they couldn't possibly involved, we'll start proving each other's alibis. Cherry, can you run up to the bedroom? Of course she can. That girl lives for the bedroom. Georgina snapped. Cherry gave her a look before calmly responding. As someone who is a divorcee, clearly you can't do anything in a bedroom, Cherry pointed out casually. There was some ooze from the audience as if fireworks were going off in the background. Georgina looked like she had been slapped in the face with more shellfish. A minute later, Cherry returned with a large whiteboard, and Cherry turned to the congregation. Sir Charles had four attempts on his life, so we're going to definitively prove our alibis. All who have four fully cleared alibis will be cleared. Those who only have a couple alibis will be considered people of interest. And those who can't attest for their alibi, well, then we're going to have to turn our attention on you. Claire started with the out-of-town family members, who were quickly cleared from having involvement. Slowly, the room filtered into three sides. Those who had been acquitted, and those who were not fully acquitted, and those waiting to be tried. Among those with faltered alibis were most of the individuals that Cherry and company had suspected. Children Charles Jr. and Beatrice, current wives Lindsay, wives 2 and 3 Georgina and Fiona, cousin Ricky, and cousin Shirley. Up next came Marcus and Rio, who had cleared the first three alibis, although they were struggling to talk about where they were for the most recent attack. Well, uh, me and Rio were, uh, um... Marcus looked around the room, his eyes moving like pinballs on a hot streak. Cherry knew that Marcus and Rio had been playing Try the Sausage, but Sir Charles appeared unaware that his son's interest swung towards the direction of a man's lap. You two were banging, Sir Charles asked, which caused the whole room to go into stunned silence. Dad, how? Marcus, you're more gay than an orgy of a thousand men, Sir Charles said, as if you'd been part of said orgy and hadn't minded it. Marcus almost dropped his crystal wine glass and clasped his hands to his mouth before opening his arms for a hug. The room fell into a quick cascade of aww as Marcus and Sir Charles hugged. If someone wasn't trying to fry Sir Charles up like fish on a Lenten Friday night, this might have been a super cute moment. After the hug, Claire turned back to the whiteboard. Claire and Cherry sorted through a couple more local family members with tight alibis. Emily and Hayes watched, still under the guise of family members. It was becoming clear that one of their original suspects had to be involved. It's one of you. Cherry tried to make her voice sound apologetic. But in reality, she was ready to sink her teeth into an attempted murderer. Georgina, Fiona, you both had motive. Sir Charles kicked your butts to the curb like leftover moldy Tupperware filled with goop that had been shoved in the back of a fridge and completely forgotten about for a couple months. You had to have been upset with being treated like that. Perhaps upset at the time, Georgina nodded. But I'm happy with my new husband, who is also quite rich. He makes $300,000 a year, which, for your information, is extremely rich for Cleveland. The room agreed with Georgina. $300,000 was pretty rich for Cleveland. 
It didn't take much money to live a decent life, which Cherry, Emily, and Hayes could attest to since they were barely scraping by. Granted, in a city like New York or L.A., $300,000 might not be that excellent, but in Cleveland, it was royalty level. I have a hot, rich fiancé, too, Fiona added. He's a brand doctor, truly the best of his kind. The room agreed to that logic, too, but it was Claire who pointed out the obvious facts. You're both unaccounted for, Claire explained. No alibis means you could have done the crime. We're housewives, Georgina rolled her eyes. We just stay at home all day. Oh, wait, I have that security camera on the front door. That'll prove I stayed home. Oh, I have one or two. It's perfect to make sure the delivery man doesn't look like a murderer. Fiona pulled out her phone and scrolled through. Minutes later, it was clear that both ladies might be boring housewives who stayed home all the time, but they had alibis for the first three crimes. With the ex-wives cleared, something Cherry was reluctant to admit, Claire now fixated onto Beatrice. It can't be me, Beatrice told the room simply, as if she was speaking absolute truths. I was in my office for two of those charges. But nobody can back you up. Claire moved over to Lindsay. And what about you, Lindsay? Were you planning events or something, or were you planning a murder? A normal person would have probably gagged at the silly reference, but Lindsay was too stupid to find Claire's attack corny. I don't think so. I was around, but Sir Charles knows that I wouldn't do anything to hurt him. If anything, I heard Lindsay in the bedroom if you get my drift, Sir Charles joked, but the whole room groaned, except for Lindsay, who gave off a schoolgirl giggle. Oh, boys can't hurt me, Jerry explained. If anything, I hurt them, considering I'm a power top. Let's move on, Emily muttered from the sidelines, still in disguise as a family member. A few people eyed power top Cherry with intrigue, some perhaps hoping to connect with Cherry when this was over. Claire grilled Cousin Shirley and Cousin Ricky. The two held up pretty strong and were sort of lower suspects anyway. Next up, for a bit of light grilling, was Beatrice's husband Tyler. Tyler was looking a little pale, clammy even. Claire eyed him with suspicion, the same way one might eye a clearance item that seemed too good to be true. Are you okay? Claire asked, trying to sound motherly while pretending she cared. Yes, I'm fine, Tyler said in an octave that made him sound like a Mariah Carey-like performance. You don't seem fine at all, Claire prompted, while Cherry stepped forward. Tell us, Tyler, is there something bugging you? No, nothing at all, Tyler shook his head. I'm all good. I think you should press him, Emily called out. He was clamoring when I talked to him about Cynthia's joke. At first I wondered if Tyler was just a creep, but maybe he's guilty. Tyler, you do not speak. Beatrice's voice had been replaced momentarily by Lucifer's own growl. Well, you look really guilty, Cherry said, looking between Tyler and Beatrice. And Beatrice telling you not to speak also looks pretty guilty. Sweat, wandering eyes, body odor. You're showing a lot of signs of someone who did the crime. I didn't do anything to Sir Charles, Tyler said loudly, as if trying to convince people with voice work that was as shoddy as a seemingly innocence. I didn't wax the steps or drop conditioner in the bathroom or make chocolate scones for Sir Charles to choke on. How did you know the scones were chocolate? Claire asked. The whole room took a giant pause, as even Tyler realized the severity of what he had done. Tyler looked around but realized there seemed to be no escape. Wait, did we even know the scones were chocolate? Hayes whispered to Emily. I have no idea what type of scones they were, Emily muttered back. I think she's just trying to get to Tyler. Do you have any alibis for any of these dates? 
Claire asked Tyler, moving on as if she had proved a point by insisting Tyler couldn't have known the scones were chocolate. Of course I do. Tyler started shaking his head affirmative, like he had come down with some kind of poisoning. I have alibis. Let's hear them. I was, I, I was home with the kids when the waxing happened. Prove it. I, I can't. Only the kids. So that doesn't count. Claire steamrolled. The day of the shower incident. Where were you? Uh, I was at work. Can you prove it? No, I don't think I can prove it, but I promise you I was. You went to the pool on Friday night. You were unaccounted for at the time of Sir Charles' attack. And about earlier this week, if I called your office, would I find that you had taken this Monday off? Tyler's face creased with pain, and he did not respond. That was all they needed to seal the deal. The room erupted into hysterics. Sir Charles was yelling and trying to get at Tyler. A lot of the gallery were in disbelief, as was Beatrice. Tyler couldn't have done this, Beatrice told the room, even as Tyler stood there looking like he was about to be executed. He's the most timid shy man I know. He, he couldn't murder a fruit with a knife, let alone try and kill my own father. You're right, Cherry finally interrupted the chaos. We're missing part of the puzzle. The room fell silent once again like a trained dog waiting for a treat of information. Tyler Smith is a weak individual. He's not smart enough, talented, passionate, or anything to pull this off, Cherry began. Sure, he might have been the assassin. He might have been doing the dirty work, but he didn't have the motive for this. There's a real mastermind at work here. Cherry took a deep breath and eyed the individual she was about to accuse. The other person behind Sir Charles' murder attempts is his daughter, Beatrice. Chapter 17 The room shook with murmurs again, but Beatrice Worthington Wellington was quick to deflect. After all, Beatrice was a talented lawyer who had a history of being sharper than ten pencils out of the sharpener. I didn't know about Tyler trying to kill my father. Beatrice began, keeping her tone quite normal. She truly looked like an innocent woman. Frankly, we don't even have any heavy evidence that Tyler did these crimes. I'm just as shocked as the rest of the room. Really? Cherry asked. I think we have a strong case that Tyler was involved. And if Tyler was involved, you're definitely in the passenger seat. Because last time I checked, your husband was barely allowed to breathe without your permission. The room went into hubbub again at that fact. It was true. Beatrice practically owned Tyler. If Tyler was involved, Beatrice had to be involved as well. It's true that Tyler does a lot for me, Beatrice agreed, but I never asked for him to kill my father. Why would I do that? It's not about the money, is it? Cherry asked. It's just about how you feel about your father. I feel nothing negative towards my father, Beatrice said quietly. I appreciate my father. You don't love your father? Claire asked with skeptic eyes. I... I Beatrice paused, eyeing Sir Charles, who was looking upset at the situation. I don't love my father. That, that might be true, but I would never hurt my father. Why don't you love him? Cherry asked, having gained new ground and thirsty to press forward. There were no seats in the room, but if people were seated, no doubt they'd be far on the edge of their seats. My father and I have a complex relationship, Beatrice explained. I am my father. But that doesn't come with love. Respect, perhaps. Admiration for what he's done and accomplished, perhaps. But love, no. None of that. I don't exist with any kind of love anyway, as evident with Tyler here. Tyler has no reason to hurt Sir Charles. Do you have a reason to hurt Sir Charles? Claire piped up. I didn't hurt Sir Charles, Beatrice adamantly said to the crowd. But if I wanted to, I had plenty of reasons. He was a terrible father. He was a womanizer. 
My father only cared about money and the resources that people offered. So yes, I wouldn't feel that bad if someone here were trying to kill the man. Do you realize that you condone the death of your father? Cherry followed up. Even if you didn't try and kill your father, that's pretty messed up. Beatrice paused for a second, as if realizing the implications of what she had said. She had not confessed to the murder of her father. But Beatrice had given herself a motive, as well as implied that her father's death would be just. And with Tyler pinned for the pieces of the crime, and with Tyler being Beatrice's delivery boy, the connection of Beatrice to these attempts was strong. Beatrice looked shocked, perhaps not because of her half-confession, but rather that a woman she considered to be a whore had outdone her. Beatrice, you're right, Sir Charles himself spoke up. I've been quite selfish. I do look out for me. I am money-hungry, I am power-hungry, and I understand why you don't love me. I understand why you tried to kill me. Cherry and Claire weren't alone in being shocked. The whole room could not handle Sir Charles' blasé response to finding out his daughter was probably trying to kill him. Dad, I didn't... Beatrice began, but Sir Charles raised his hand. There may not be any evidence, not enough to take to court, and your family, so I wouldn't want to take you to court anyway. I just ask that you take your kids and leave, Beatrice. We, we will talk another day. Beatrice and Tyler eyed each other and turned to leave the room. It was almost like there was a trick or trap in place, but they ushered themselves from Watershed Manor, and after they were gone, Sir Charles spoke to the room. Thank you for coming to this family reunion that I staged to find out who murdered me. Sir Charles said, sounding collected while admitting that the family reunion had been a sham. Sir Charles had been pretty angry, but now appeared reflective at the whole situation. Beatrice made some points. I haven't been the best family member, but I vowed to change that. You've been great to me, Marcus cried out, and Cousin Ricky and Charles Jr. joined in with the applause, as if by clapping they'd get an allowance out of Sir Charles. Well, this is a wrap, Claire said, turning to Emily and Hayes. Beatrice and Tyler, we didn't get a full confession, Cherry sighed. We'll still be making bank, that's all that matters, Blair pointed out. I think we named the right murderers anyway. Sir Charles arrived among the four of them. Thank you for solving this case, Sir Charles said to the group. I've utilized your service to its fullest extent. You don't want to follow up with Beatrice? Clara asked quizzically. No, I think I'll let her think about all that's happened. Sir Charles said nonchalantly, as if Beatrice had stolen a twenty from his wallet and not tried to order his execution. Beatrice did try and murder you, Cherry pointed out. She might be back for blood. I get what she's feeling, Sir Charles explained to the group before moving on to the next couple family members. I did try and kill my father, too. Sir Charles hobbled away to probably make an inappropriate joke, leaving Claire, Cherry, Emily, and Hayes to stand like statues. Well, that means we don't have to spend the night. Claire said, raising her glass of rich wine. I might, though. I think I've had a bit too much to drink. I wouldn't want to be irresponsible and drive home or not finish much more of this pricey-ass wine. What's the brunch situation going to be tomorrow morning? Cherry asked. Because I'm not going to turn down free food. Damn it. I was going to leave right now because I hate people, but if there's more free food... Emily looked around and locked eyes with the bar as if it was a long-lost friend. Why not just say the extra night? Especially because we did a good job, Hayes added. So good that I think we deserve to stay the night. And because we did well, I deserve a double whiskey. I deserve a triple vodka for making Beatrice crack so easily, Cherry smiled. There was a tap on Cherry's shoulder and she turned to see Cousin Ricky standing in front of her. 
That was some good work you did there, Ricky congratulated. I've never seen Beatrice look so tongue-twisted. Sorry if you feel deceived. It seems all that you lied about was being part of the family, Ricky asked. You're a private investigator. Yes, that's the truth, Cherry nodded a bit sheepishly. Well, since it won't be incest, maybe I could ask you out on a date. Cherry eyed Ricky, who was handsome for a sleazy bad boy kind of way. Cherry knew that only two dimes Ricky was rubbing together were body parts, but something about him did intrigue Cherry. Let's do a date then, Cherry nodded. How about sometime this week? We can go to a local bar? Sure, just let me know when. Cherry gave Ricky her real cell phone number and went back to her colleagues. We finished a case two minutes ago and you already have a date, Hayes chuckled. That sounds like a new record. <laughs> no, I've gotten dates while on cases, Cherry pointed out. How could we forget the time when we arrived on the doorstep to interview the neighbor about the missing stop sign and the first thing he did was ask you out, Emily recalled. Oh, I was thinking of the time I went on a date while I was surveilling Mr. Sanchez. Cherry nodded. You did what? Claire asked, her eyebrows raised, but Cherry had already returned to the wine bar. Chapter 18 Monday rolled around and so did Cherry, who waltzed into the office a bit after ten in the morning. She didn't feel bad about being late. After all, they had worked most of Friday and most of Saturday. Sure, Cherry had been blessed to have Sunday off, but she spent a lot of it recovering from their undercover mission, as well as catching up on a couple dates. Secretary Barbara Walters, not to be confused with television news producer and reporter Barbara Walters, had many questions, similar to Barbara Walters. What happened? Barbara gleefully asked. Who was it? Who tried to kill the old rich man? The son-in-law, but most likely he was coerced by the daughter, Cherry responded. Didn't Emily or Hayes tell you? They did, but I like confirming my sauces, Barbara said with a wink. A plate of scones was on Barbara's desk which meant Barbara was happy today. Cherry took a scone and bit a large chunk off, hoping not to choke herself to borderline death the way Sir Charles had. I also went on a date yesterday, Cherry smiled. It wasn't too bad. He just has a pretty gummy mouth. But I also got a date out of this week's investigation. I'm seeing this guy Ricky later this week. He's a Worthington. He's not rich, but when Sir Charles dies in the next decade, I imagine he'll have a windfall. You know, that's the biggest regret I have. Barbara sighed, as if reflecting on her sixty or so years all in one second. I married for love when I really should have married for money. They say money doesn't make happiness, but I don't think it would have hurt. You're a hundred percent correct. Cherry moved towards her desk and sat down in it, and then addressed Hayes and Emily. Do we have a case yet? Not yet, Hayes said, playing a video game off his laptop. We'll probably take an early lunch and come back at four. I have a date tonight, so if we get a case later, I won't be able to stay out past six. Emily informed the room. A date? Cherry's eyes flung open with intrigue. Uh, usually I'm the one getting dates around here. That's not true. I get a date or so every month, Hayes corrected. It's like my cycle. Emily and Cherry eyed him for that one, and Hayes sheepishly remained quiet. Tell me about the date, Emily, Cherry begged. I want all the details. Job, income, size. It's with Charlie, Emily said. You know, from the bar. <laughs> Charlie? Cherry coughed on her scone and almost turned blue, before managing to swallow a piece of the scone the size of a paperweight. Charlie, as in Charlie Berkman, as in the Charlie Berkman of my big four, also known as the foreign man who rebuffed my advances? Yep, Emily said dryly. And we didn't need the explanation of who the big four are. We know about them. Explain yourself! I think I just did. Hayes, noticing the drama, tried to splice himself into the conversation. 
Well, didn't Emily and Charlie already go on a date? Hayes refreshed everyone's memory. Yes, and I truly thought that Charlie would realize what a piece of sponge Emily is. Cherry rolled her eyes. Date two? You must be so excited. I am. Emily nodded. He's a nice guy, and we have a lot of the same interests. Really? I didn't think he was the boring type. He's definitely not your type, which is a pain in the ass. You're right, Emily. Boys do find my ass so good that it literally hurts. Let's slow down before we say something we regret, Hayes interjected, but Cherry and Emily were more oblivious to him than a drunk driver to traffic laws. Fine. If you want to go see Charlie, go for it. Cherry pulled up her computer and hit the keyboard like she was a white woman writing an email to complain about customer service. I will, Emily said, a bit huffily, stronger than her normal tone. There was silence between the three private investigators for a moment, and then Cherry spoke to the room at large. I, too, have a crazy date this weekend. We heard earlier you're, you're seeing Cousin Ricky, Hayes commented. That is true, Cherry nodded, but I just scheduled a new date. Uh, with who? Hayes asked. Emily was intently staring at her screen as if Cherry didn't exist. Oh, uh, it's some random guy named Josiah Hinkle, Cherry shrugged. Emily's neck snapped from the whiplash. You are not really going on a date with my ex-fiance, Emily snarled. In the background, Barbara gasped and almost knocked over her plate of scones. Hayes was frozen, realizing this tiff was not just a standard small one-hour situation. Yep, we're going on a date tonight, actually, Cherry smiled. I hope it's a good time. Cherry stood up and walked to the door. Let me know if we get a case, Cherry explained as she left. Otherwise, I have to get ready to see Josiah. Before Emily could say anything, Cherry was gone. Cherry's much smarter than she lets on sometimes, Hayes managed to say as Emily shook her head. Going out with your fiancé. Now that's a move. Yeah, wait till she meets him, Emily smiled. She'll quickly find out why I ended the engagement. Cherry on Top is written, produced, and hosted by Matt Rebar. 